Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to the Transporter Lock podcast for Saturday, March 19th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagne. Hi, I am Captain Sabriel Maston. Hello, Captain. How are you today? I was just trying to capture an image to recreate an old sailor t- photograph on my tricorder made by Samsung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, that technology is very tricky nowadays. And, you know, it, it's good that they have these elaborate names for them because otherwise we wouldn't know precisely what they do. So we are here to talk about Assimilate, but we have someone joining us. Yes, that's right. We have a guest joining us. We crossed paths in Chicago a week ago as I was on my way from Denver to New Hampshire, and I was very happy that she accepted our invitation to join the crew. Please join us in welcoming full-time Lieutenant Tactical Officer and part-time entertainer, Kayla Drescher. Hello, Kayla. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Well, thank you for being had. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I, I feel like I am almost unqualified to be talking about Star Trek at, at this time, but I'm really pumped to be a part of it. So thank you for asking. Well, my pleasure. And we are eager to hear all about your history with Star Trek. But first, I think we need to elaborate on the profession that caused us to cross paths. Kayla, you are a renowned magician. You perform at the Magic Castle in Los Angeles. You've performed for organizations including IBM, Microsoft, John Hopkins University. You have performed for Penn & Teller on the show Fool Us, and you are a full-time magician, part-time scientist, part-time educator, part-time bartender. You are a magician of all trades, and you have brought us under your spell. Tell us more about your history with magic. Yeah, uh, I mean, you you covered it, really. Uh, So I've been doing magic since I was seven years old. I got into it because my dad and I walked into a magic shop, and I really loved performing for people in preschool when we had preschool graduation everyone the teachers was like oh you know this is stephanie and she wants to be a veterinarian and this is cj and he wants to be uh, a history teacher and when it came to me they were like this is kayla and she wants to be maria from the sound of music and i just loved performing for people it was great but i also was really logical and sciencey and i like digging in the dirt and experimenting with things and uh when i found magic it just kind of clicked both of those parts of my brain together and because behind the scenes of magic it's very experimenty it's very you know you got to know a lot about magnets and angles and all this stuff and then when you get to perform it it's really satisfying because then the audience gives you that that instant feedback of oh wow that's really cool so all your behind the scenes stuff was really worth it and so I dove into magic as a profession right after I graduated college in 2012. And I've been doing it since. I lived in Boston. I lived in Vegas. Now I'm in Los Angeles. And then you and I got to meet uh, at at my... I have a residency run right now at the Chicago Magic Lounge. I've been here for three months. And so I'm getting to do my hour-long show here, which is really, really cool. It's a rare opportunity. Uh, And I got to be in Chicago for three months and perform at this amazing venue that's made specifically for magic. So uh, that's that's the magic part. Hello. That is is awesome. And I was unaware that you had, uh, you were Kayla that I'd seen on uh, Fool Us. Oh, no way. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. (laughs) Uh, That part was, I did not know that. So yeah. All right. It's been a few years, but... (laughs) It, it has been a few years. Uh, I was on season four, so I think they're, they're about to start season eight right now, I think. So it's been a while. Um, and yeah, that routine is like one of my, it's just my one of my favorites because it's the only routine that's not super comedy based in the show. It's more of a relaxed, emotional, sweet piece. But mm-hmm. uh, I think, Ken, you saw on Wednesday at the show... I had the most ideal human being come up and help with that routine. And when someone comes up and they're very playful and fun, like Teller was, uh, that routine is like just pure gold. So uh, that's cool. I'm so um, thanks for watching it. That's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was very fortunate to be able to see that performed live. And I was also very fortunate to be a part of one of your other tricks, (laughs) although 
I have to say, given how we met, it's imp- the real trick is how cordial we're being right now, because you and I nearly came to blows in our argument over <laughs> who is the best Star Trek captain. You know, uh, so I do this routine that I called Ken up for and where three guys play different silly roles of high school or very typical high school kids. And they're trying to win a date with high school Kayla, but my parents are pretty much denying it along the way. And it's a really fun routine because people get really into it. And you were the kind of nerdy, smart kid. And whenever I say, can you say something smart, show off how, how brilliant you are, some people are, they freeze. Other people will just go E equals MC squared. And then you just went off about Picard. And I was like, well, this is gold, isn't it? Because Ken has no idea I'm going to go on a Star Trek rant in like 20 minutes. And so it was just this beautiful thing. So it was really fun to like get to basically fight with you in the audience uh, while we're still also trying to do this different trick. So that was great. I loved it. Uh, I still think you're wrong, but (laughs) I loved it. So you think Janeway is the best captain? Uh, So Janeway was my first... Captain Voyager was my first show. So uh, I love Janeway. I think uh, just looking at the show and the the journey that Janeway has throughout it, for me, it's the most compelling and interesting of all of the Star Trek captains. But also one of my favorite things is she didn't get put into the typical box that you could put a woman into. They didn't make her cry every three episodes. They didn't make her motherly or wifey or anything. She was just this strong, badass woman captain. And to me, that was that I just am super connected to that character. Um, And also Kate Mulgrew is like just a gift to this earth, isn't she? (laughs) Does that mean you're also watching Star Trek Prodigy? I am watching Star Trek Prodigy, if only to know what's happening with Hologram Janeway. Um, I actually screamed at the season finale, uh, and it's, oh my God, what, I can't wait for season two. It's the, <laughs> what, what a thing they've set up, and I'm so mad I have to wait for it. She's the most interesting part of Prodigy for me as well. Totally agree. Totally agree. Because she's definitely got... You know, she's a hologram, so there's some some big stuff. But then in that finale episode, when you see actual Janeway, it's like, oh, boy, this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and speaking of Prodigy, Kayla, I think you know a former guest of this podcast, Bonnie Gordon. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, Bonnie, I know Bonnie from the Magic Castle, uh, and she's the voice of the computer in Prodigy. She's fantastic. Yeah, we had the pleasure of doing a full one-hour interview with her all about not only her performance on Star Trek Prodigy, but also her Kickstarter for Con Artist, the new album she's producing. Oh, yeah, that's great. She's really, she's one of the most talented people I know. So, yeah, that's awesome you got to talk to her. She's really great. Yay. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity, I don't know, think it's still in publication, but the website Genie, which covers the magic industry. Yep. Well, another former guest of this show, Susan Arndt, was the editor-in-chief of that website. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Wow. You've got some some deep magic connections on this podcast. Well done. <laughs> well, you know, two data points doesn't establish a trend. You're the one doing that. So thank yeah. you so much for joining the show. <laughs> I'm honored to be your third data point. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> What a! I, I think that's a compliment. I don't certainly don't mean it to be dismissive. No, but yeah, you are. I only took it as a compliment. Don't you worry. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so we will include links in the show notes at transportalock.com to your website, which is magicinheels.com, as well as your Chicago residency, because as the show airs, there's still an opportunity to see you perform live. And I was also, I have to add. Very grateful that the venue required vaccinations because that allowed me to enjoy your show without worrying. It allows me to also perform the show without worrying, which is really great. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really happy the lounge has, they cracked down very quickly at the beginning of the, when they reopened to make sure that uh, the whole place was safe for staff, performers, and guests. So they had masks required and vaccines required before the, the city required them. And they just did away with the mask mandate. Now they're optional, but vaccine vax only and if you don't have proof even if you're like no i am vaccinated you can't stay which i i'm really am very grateful for good and one more question about your show i didn't realize this until you just said it 
you're saying that your rant about Star Trek captains was independent of me bringing up Star Trek earlier in the show? It is, in fact, independent of you. Uh, I I say that as that people are writing down their hobbies on these cards, I say, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to explain to you why Captain Catherine Janeway is the best Star Trek captain. And then people either applaud or they laugh or there's like absolute silence. And depending on the reaction to the audience, uh, I usually end up comparing Jean-Luc Picard to Janeway and which one's better. Uh, but occasionally there's someone in the audience that gives me a different captain. Uh, I love when someone says Kirk because then I'm just like, oh my God, Kirk, Kirk's only mission in life is to conquer women. So let's move on. And then, <laughs> you know, just w- go off. And I do have for Cisco, my answer is always, how can Cisco be a good captain when he never left his driveway? Uh, and that's, that's my whole rant about them. Uh, but I, no one's no one's mentioned anybody else besides Cisco or Kirk or or Picard. Um, so I kind of have lines for all of them. But yeah, that is an independent thing. It just depends on how the audience reacts, and then I kind of go off on it. Uh, and it's it's very rare that someone is very passionate about it and wants to fight with me. But it's happened <laughs> twice before you, and so it was really fun. <laughs> so what would you say if somebody said their favorite captain was Archer? I I literally would just ask them to leave. <laughs> But he has a dog. Okay, yeah, he has a dog, and Scott Bakula is great. I understand, but I mean, does anyone even remember that that show existed? That is one of my favorite Star Treks. Is it really? It is. You are the only person. <laughs> there, are, there are literally dozens of us. <laughs> <laughs> why is it? Why is it one of your favorites? What What makes it so interesting to you? Uh, I won't go into it too deep because we're here to talk about a different one, but. The short version is I really enjoy it because it's closer to our time. The crew um, is inexperienced in space. I love that they let the crew kind of be themselves a little bit more than we have seen in the past with like personal time, even personal attire. And uh, I love Andorians so much. Oh, yeah. And so a bunch of that uh, really just kind of met together. And I love the aesthetic of the small submarine type ship. Mm, and yep. so, uh, I mean... There are things to hate and enjoy for each series. And that's just one of the reasons I liked it a lot. I mean, that's fair. I, I like the idea that it's a little bit closer to us. Uh, I Yeah, so I, I understand. Uh, Voyager's still the best. Uh, I love Voyager. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Voyager once. So we've been, every time we have a reference to it, it's fun to remind Ken of the joy oh, of Voyager. Sabriel, I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just leave you two alone then. <laughs> No, we, ha- we are here to talk about Picard. So the second season, third episode aired just a few days ago. It's called Assimilation. And on this podcast, Kayla, we just do a sort of a free-ranging, unoutlined discussion about what we liked, what we didn't like, what questions we had. The, the TLDR of this episode is they finally go back in time and they're trying to find the Watcher. And also Picard wakes up the Queen, who fell asleep because she was sleepy. So... <laughs> Kayla, what were some of your impressions of this episode? Did you walk away satisfied, annoyed, curious? This episode for me was the best episode of season two yet. Uh, I think you had said this in the show, but um, the first episode of Picard for me was like, I'm like, I just didn't have any idea. Like, what storylines are we on? Like, what are we talking about? This one finally had like a really, for me, a really clear trajectory on setting up how to solve all of these issues. But my favorite, favorite thing was to watch Agnes and the Borg Queen go yes. th- and like watch Agnes go through that. And I I usually multitask while watching TV, regardless of how into the show I am. And that I had to put everything down during that scene because it was so beautiful and so well acted. And I was just like, oh my God, this is great. And then of course, uh, I don't know how, how much spoily you want me to get, but the... Uh, in that kind of final scene with Agnes and the Borg Queen after she's been disconnected and she's just triumphed over the Borg Queen in terms of knowledge and information. It's like, oh man, this is going to be, that's a really great relationship to be setting up in the third episode. So that was my favorite part for sure. I loved their dynamic so much. In fact, I just, the scene I can't get out of my head from this episode is when um, Gerardi is first being assimilated. Picard first plugs in the USB cord. And uh, oh, yes. the song cue goes to California Dreamin'. 
And that's a song about, you know, like wanting to forget your worries, forget your troubles. And Gerardi just sitting there in a limp. The camera zooms away as the Borg Queen is looming over both Picard and Gerardi as California Dreamin' plays. I'm like, fucking brilliant. Yeah. brilliant. <laughs> also, um, I saw a fun fact that I, I should probably confirm, but California Dreamin' was uh, in part written by, I forget the actor's name, but she played the part uh, of the the one that got away in Next Generation, the the in um we always have Paris. Oh really? So that that woman, that actor, play uh, co-wrote or wrote in part California Dreamin. So it was this really cool callback wow. to huh. a Next Generation episode. And so when you're just looking at that, you're like, man, this was all these decisions were right. But you're right, that directorial choice of zooming out and having the board queen loom over them as this really creepy version of the song plays is like, oh, it's just absolute gold. And you are absolutely correct. Michelle Phillips co-wrote that song and then appeared as Janice Mannheim in We'll Always Have Paris. Wow. What a call Way to make the connections, <laughs> Kayla. <laughs> I I mean, I saw it on Twitter. I can't, I don't like just know these things that I just want to make it very clear. <laughs> I saw it on Twitter. My entire Twitter feed is Star Trek. So uh, I just see a lot of fun facts. Oh, I want that Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> it's real um, easy. Um, and the ending after Gerardi, you know, calls off like, oh, the coordinates is, and then she uh, says the computer, play back the BS that I stole from the Borg Queen, which is adorable and funny. And then the Borg Queen is just like telling her like, you've done something that's more difficult and more dangerous than you realize. You've impressed me. And like, oh, that chills. Yep. Oh. The little teacup has impressed her. I love it. (laughs) Going from the Borg Queen meeting her in Voyager and how absolute creepy she is and how nightmare-inducing, and then to have little Agnes triumph over her in this moment is like, oh, man, this is going to be a really great storyline moving forward. I hope they really capitalize on it because they've set up gold. Yeah, I liked that this gave Gerardi an episode to show how strong she is and what her capabilities are, because she's often perceived as sort of a a bashful, bumbling scientist. I mean, in the last episode, she did open up the hole in the shield for the transporter beam to get through. But even during that, she was engaged in all this banter about like, oh, I'd hang up on you right now if I wouldn't get us all killed. And this episode was just about her being amazing with no caveats. And I really loved that because... Everybody on this crew has a strength, and this time we got to see hers. Uh, yeah, like the first few episodes, we saw her getting drunk on the first episode, recovering from the hangover in the second. Now she gets to do her thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're. Right. I forgot that she was drunk. Yeah, good, good call. <laughs> yeah, she's finally sobered up after everything this crew has been through. And also, the Borg Queen, I didn't realize this. We originally misremembered that this was the same actor who played the Borg Queen in either Voyager or First Contact. That actor appeared in Star Trek Lower Decks as the Borg Queen, yes. not here. This is a, this is an original actor to f- play this character. However, she did previously appear, I didn't realize this, on the NBC series Timeless, which ran for two seasons. And I feel like I'm the only person who saw it. It was amazing. It was a time travel series. And she played the season two villain. Oh, cool. She's a good villain. Yeah. So here she is playing a villain again. She is. She's, I I would hate to say she's being typecast, but it's kind of hard to say she is typecast as a board queen (laughs) because that's a unique role. Uh, But yeah, I really like what they're doing here. Yeah, for sure. They definitely, her being a villain is really great. But for me, she also, the board queen has a little bit more, personality after she jumped into like after her and Agnes connected and that's really cool because obviously before you with Borgs they're very emotionless and personality void and uh, they're assimilated right they're a part of the collective and this Borg queen was like oh did you just gain some sass from Agnes this is interesting and so I think that's going to be a really cool thing watching the Borg queen be more sassy and, and interesting and have a personality, which I don't think she's really had before. Uh, I will I will say that the Borg, prior to the introduction of the Queen in First Contact, 
was a different kind of terrifying. That lack of personality and the single-minded drivenness, kind of like in the original Terminator movie, where it's just relentless. It's something that cannot be bargained with, cannot be negotiated with, cannot be stopped. And the Queen is a different kind of terror, but it sort of defanged that original terror to a degree. Maybe, and this is could be deep, digging in deeper than I really think, like the collective there were just so many voices and individual personalities that once they were simulated, they kind of muted each other. It was, it's like the average over time of all the millions and billions of drones. And so now that we have just a collective of two, uh, they're really playing off each other and they have each other's personality. It's much more obvious because there's only two voices. That's an interesting theory. Uh, I, that's really curious because there's also the idea of we learned about how when you first are being assimilated, it's very euphoric. Yeah. And that's new information, right? Like we had not known that before. Uh, and that's a really interesting that you're getting like in a sense a high from being assimilated and then all of a sudden, boom, you're in the collective. And so it's that's really curious if it's just a collective of two, what does that what does that mean? Yeah, what is the overriding personality? And you would think that the nanites that drive the assimilation have their own subroutines and programming that are also a force but you're right there is fewer voices diluting the collective in this episode uh that whole like euphoric feeling it's just like that was that was pretty powerful too to me the whole feeling of like belonging you of course you're gonna get that euphoria it's it's kind of just a general commentary on belonging as well um, other than some fanfic I've read too, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting take on assimilation that we haven't heard. I love that. I thought it was just really deep. Yeah, the Borg Queen even calls Agnes out earlier on and being like, "You feel like you don't belong," and then all of a sudden she does right in this euphoric experience with this Borg Queen messing around in all of her emotion rooms. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh, th- this is nice. Let's stay here. Uh, and of course, Picard has to pull the plug. Yeah, that whole back mm. and forth with mine, 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 mine. Oh, so, so good. good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. yeah, when the Borg Queen was going through Agnes's emotional rooms, my first thought was to compare it to the TNG episode where Surak is piping all his emotions into Picard. Mm, yep. And on, on one hand, I... I I, I, it took me a minute to realize that wasn't really a fair comparison because Serac was, uh, no, sorry, Sarek. Sarek was ex- experiencing all these unfiltered emotions, kind of like Agnes, but he, those were more organic, whereas Agnes was being forced to experience these things out of order. You know, I mean, they may, they may have been true feelings, but it was the Borg Queen manipulating her. And whereas Sarek may have had a disease causing him to feel those things, he always felt those things. This is something that Vulcans deal with. They have very powerful, very strong emotions. They just don't exhibit them. And so Agnes wasn't on the same plane as Sarek, but it was still neat to see who somebody is when their inhibitions and their barriers are taken down. Yeah, Agnes even yells at Picard, right? When she's like, oh, we're in the anger room. And then she just goes off. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, what is that? What What is that? Har- like, what have you been harboring this entire time? That's very interesting. And she also sees him as a father figure. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that was a. That was interesting. Her lying to Picard when she was angry. I wrote it angry. I wrote it down. Like you pretend to have feelings to avoid having feelings. So how awful must it be to feel what you feel? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like everyone can read him. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think that's a pretty accurate description of Picard, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, yep. I mean, that's that's definitely the Picard they've set up in this season too. Uh, so that even with them, um, oh my gosh, I don't remember the character's name, but the Romulan that uh, works on his. Um, Laris. Vineyard, Laris, thank you. Yeah. Setting that, setting up the love interest with Laris, and then Laris is like, "No, I think you're just. I thought you were just loving the stars, but you're really you're running from something." And then he obviously runs from that relationship, and yeah, they've set up a really complicated Picard in his old age, and that's that's mm-hmm. gonna be fun. Uh, well, jumping back to the beginning of this episode, like when 
there's a whole bunch. There's a big bunch here. But uh, Q, uh, when they're going to the fort towards the future, he's like, this is the only, as they're running away from the ships, which I want to talk about in a second, this is the only kind of life you understand. Shall we see what else is lost in the wake of your fear? Um, again, we're getting these hints of like what, Picard knows what he's running from, I think, and he won't tell anybody else. He's just yeah. scared to express these emotions. Also, what's wrong with Q? Yeah. What's wrong? What Something's wrong. On? He's never been angry yeah. before. Yeah, and we've theorized about that, Sabriel and I, a little bit about how, on one hand, this is just a darker, grittier era in which to be telling TV stories. But also, I don't think it's a coincidence that Borg and Q showed up at the same time. Mm. I mean, Q has previously admonished his son on Voyager, do not antagonize the Borg. And I think in this season, we're going to find out the reason for that. Um, The closed captioning might have given something away in the opening, in the recap on the previous episode. And it may have been there before and I forgot about it or missed it. But when the Borg um, green blob in space uh, was talking and calling for Picard, it said um, the speaker is Legion. Hmm. And I'm like, what is Legion? And I wonder, like, is that another name for the Borg? Is that the specialized Borg? Like, what in the world? Is this, like, a Q-Borg hybrid? What is going on? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Legion is used in a lot of science fiction to describe a collective with a lowercase c. And so I could imagine it's just how the closed captions decide to represent the Borg. The Legion of Voices. Mm. Yeah, but it, it could also be a, you know, if it's a capital L, then that could mean something else entirely. Yeah, it was all caps. I don't know if it actually changed anything, though. Are you saying it's an acronym? Oh, my gosh. No, but... Uh, <laughs> Let's see, I'm not going to acronym. Lacutus <laughs> enters Ooh. great ideas of none. I Wow, that was, that was <laughs> not a good one, but... It was like not it. good, but it was impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Well, well done. And you just pulled that out of your hat. It's amazing. Literally. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the beginning, the opening. I'm so glad they just kind of fast forward through there. I hated that cliffhanger last week of mm-hmm. alternate husband holding guns. Like, we got to get through this. I um, hate him. He was such a little <laughs> swat. I, I mean, if, like, there was so much anticipation with Seven being married when they released that clip of her being like, oh, I have no borg eyepiece now and uh, there's a wedding ring and everyone was like who is she married to is it chakotay is it like what's going on and it's just some dweeby guy we never got his name i don't think magistrate point magistrate magistrate uh no name husband um i found out online thanks to twitter because i couldn't see the ships that were chasing la serena they were named after admirals evil admirals in the uh during the show run (laughs) Uh, there was the Quinn, who was from Conspiracy, the Worm Aliens. From oh yeah, there was Leighton from Deep Space Nine, Homefront, when they had like martial law on Earth, and the last one was the Doherty, the Badmiral from Insurrection. Oh, cool! And so that was the production crew having a little fun naming these evil ships after Badmirals. But did those names even come up in the episode? How did you get that detail? Uh, production designer was talking about it on the Twitter. Oh, okay. And Production designer. Apparently, at some weird angle, the tiniest little stretch, you can see the text. Like, none of us would have seen that if they went to point right. it out. But he wanted to show off what he had done. <laughs> I mean, they're always putting in these minute Easter eggs, like the rubber ducky room on TNG. Yeah. yeah. So, Neat. I thought that was fun. But the thing that I hated the most about the opening is killing Elnor did nothing for me. <laughs> I mean, we have to assume that that's not permanent. I don't think so. But yeah, I agree. Uh, that's He's too great. It's also interesting, though, that when our heroes got the phasers off the bad guys, they were set to kill. And yet when Elnor got shot, it was not set to evaporate or whatever, vaporize. You're right. Oh, good point. Yeah, no, he had plot armor on. <laughs> well, he deserved a lingering death where he can share final words, whereas the magistrate had nobody to talk to. And I th- was wondering 
when the magistrate died, if they were going to make it dramatic or if they were going to make seven of nine be the one who pulls the trigger or if they're actually going to save him or if seven of nine was going to be like, no, wait, we need him. I don't remember him, but I am technically married to him. And they just got rid of all of that. And yeah. I'm glad he was just another bad guy who had to die like any other red shirt. Yeah. In a time that doesn't really exist. Right. So it's like, all right, whatever. We don't need this guy. Bye bye. It was Ralphie who shot him, wasn't it? Yes. All right. Yeah. yeah seventh girlfriend killed him. <laughs> I've had enough of this. Bam. Dead. Yeah. That, that's what I was thinking as well, is that we rarely see Starfleet characters kill anybody. And granted, Seven is not Starfleet. But the way that I was able to justify it was exactly what Kayla just said, is these people aren't real. It's just a timeline that's, that's going to get wiped out anyway. Except Seven is Seven is so interesting in this timeline. Uh, you know, when she and Rafi are talking to that security guard trying to go up and you're like, what? And then she goes, oh, strangers usually don't like me. That's because you're not a Borg here, Seven. Like, you're a human and you're very likable. Well, that's two interactions she had. Yeah. Uh, like, like Rafi is like, why are you so calm? And she's just, because Seven's so surprised. People like her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's so relaxed because she's used to being seen as an object of fear and not only does this era not recognize the Borg, but she doesn't have her implants. And so I like seeing this version of seven. It's the seven that never got assimilated. Yep. Yep. It's the, uh, it's the Annika Hansen. I really mm. want seven just to be next to me and wink at me. My gay heart <laughs> would just melt. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> I approve of that. It's wonderful. <laughs> so I got a kick out of the little girl being like, are you a superhero? Because uh, like our media is so full of superheroes right now. Uh, so this person appears out of nowhere. A little girl just instantly jumps to that. I thought that was cute. Yeah. Yep. I just, I really love so much that they've set up Rafi and Seven as a relationship. Because Seven and, Ch- for me, Seven and Chakotay getting together in Voyager oh, was God. very wow. weird, right? Like, I was not a fan of that relationship. Even if it was short-lived, even if it was just like... This lovely man is trying to help this woman become more human, whatever. Then it just, it's, but it's just weird to me. And so when Seven and Rafi get together, it's like, oh, finally, this is, this is correct. This is so correct. And they really nailed it. The fact that Seven just is really interested in this badass woman. Thank you. This is ideal. <laughs> One of my later notes I wrote down. Um, uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Um, the gays need to talk about their feelings. Challenge 2024. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these two are having issues. Apparently, apparently the seven rappy thing has been a little subtle to people or they've forgotten. Cause like t- season one closed with those two holding hands. And there was a, an audio book of those two called no man's land. And they talk about their relationship. And then Rafi hints that seven's just running away at the beginning of this season and won't talk to her. And now here we have Rafi running away. and won't talk to seven. Um, but apparently their relationship has been subtle. Even an acquaintance last night on Twitter. It was like, I love that they're kind of hinting at a ship here. And I'm like, no, it's real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to me, it's so obvious, but I guess Jer- it's not everyone. Jerry Ryan also, someone had tweeted her right after that season finale where her and Rafi, Seven and Rafi are holding hands. And someone was like, wait a minute, is Seven? And then put, posted the uh, bisexual flag. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Ryan commented back with a rainbow flag. And it was like, oh, wow, this got confirmed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it was wonderful. And yeah, I guess maybe people forgot about it, but. It's there. It's great. I can I, I, I confess that sometimes I forget, not because I want to or because I'm erasing it, but just because, as Sabriel said, it is, to some people, subtle. I approve of it and I'm enjoying yeah. it, but it's not the way that we often see relationships being represented in Star Trek. Yeah, one thing I find really great about Picard, um, and this is something, you know, I live in Los Angeles, and so I'm adjacent to the... Hollywood scene and have worked on movies and TV shows like as a consultant or or whatever. And one thing that really bothers me about a lot of modern day stuff, and I can compare Picard to Discovery because in Discovery, every single scene is what we call an Emmy award winning scene (laughs) where every scene, the actors are trying to win their Emmy. 
and the writers are trying to win their Emmy. It's e- it's every scene. Oh my god, you're right. Right. So this is not my idea. This is like we talk about this constantly, and it's just and this is a thing oh. that's happened in a lot of writing, in just a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies. You're just getting hit over the head with drama and emotion, and it can't ever you can't ever take a breath. And that's one of the reasons why like. Mar- you know, Marvel movies do so well is because you go crazy for 20 minutes in this big battle and then it's just people having breakfast and then, you know, you just get to breathe and then you get back to the battle and then you get to breathe. And Discovery is every single scene, like some big massive thing is happening. And here in Picard, yeah, some big massive thing is happening, but you get to take a little bit of a breath when you just get to see Raffi and Seven discussing their relationship. Or you get to see Agnes and her emotions. Uh, you know, you get to have these lovely moments of a of a breathing room, and that to me is what like makes Picard so good. And what I loved about season one is that there are some really big things happening. It's very dramatic. It's very dark. But then you also get to just chill out and watch people be people. Man, you got me just thinking a whole other way of just looking at this thing. I, I love to be kind of critical of the shows too. But uh, the the term right there that you said of the Emmy Award or the, the look trying to get an Emmy Award after every mm-hmm. scene, like yes, that's so true. And I like that. Yeah, Picard, we can breathe here, and we get silly little silly little scenes of them trying to tell a guard, you know, like uh, oh, what's his name is funnier. Kevin's fu- Kevin's funnier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. This is my appreciation. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Um, the opening when they're warp time traveling to the future was a total callback to Star Trek Four, the one with the whales. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was fun. How I gotta wonder though, they were going warp nine at that speed. You would circumnavigate the sun multiple times in the course of a second, and so I feel like yep. what we saw was them going slower than what how fast they said they were going. Like that happened in the original in the movie too. Uh, they were just being consistent with that. But you're absolutely right. If you want to get to the nitty gritty, it's. I admit uh, it's been a while since I saw the voyage home. Did we actually like? I my recollection is that they just literally slingshotted around the sun, like they went around yep. it in a U shape. Whereas they did, and they were doing the slow. Uh, Sulu is doing the very slow count upwards for the warp numbers, just like Rios did here to warp 9.67. You know, very slow, dramatic. Like, okay, Sulu, we get it. Uh, but um, yeah, they did one slow spin around the sun and the crew was all leaning hard to the left and <laughs> everyone's having these weird fantasy daydreams as they all uh, go around the sun super fast. Um, yeah. And of course, I always have to wonder if time travel is so easy that the board queen can do it, then why doesn't she do it more often? Yeah, she could affect so much. She could go back and bring back the collective. That should be easy. Right. Or even as we saw in Star Trek First Contact, that timeline, she could go back and assimilate Earth whenever she wants. Yeah. Um, Maybe she needed, she did make a lot of comments like, I want your ship. Give me your ship. Maybe she needed a different sort of ship than a Borg cube. Excuse me. I have a question. What does the Borg queen need with a ship? Right. Okay. Nobody's getting my Star Trek (laughs) five reference. No, they are. (laughs) I just didn't have a response. (laughs) I try so hard. Yeah. if, If she got that ship, I mean, that is a level of technology so far beyond what that century of earth has that the future would be lost. And, Oh, and that reminds me when I think it was either Agnes or Rafi or seven, somebody has said, welcome to 21st century earth. I kind of expected to Picard to say, Oh, I've been here before. Like this is old news for me. I came back to first contact day. And uh, we also got to see as they were panning across the landscape of Los Angeles, the Griffiths observatory, which Voyager went to. Yep. Mm-hmm. And which I had the opportunity to visit when I was nomading there just a year ago. We recreated some scenes, both from Voyager and from the first Terminator, because that's also where that movie opens. And it's been the, the tunnels up to the Griffith Observatory and the observatory have been in so many things. It's in, mm-hmm. it's like, so, oh my God, anything that takes place in LA goes up yeah. there. 
One of oh, my favorite yeah. things about Nomadi in LA was all the movie sets I got to visit. I went to the amusement park that the Karate Kid went to. I went to Vasquez Rocks, which has often been Vulcan. I went to where the last Starfighter played his arcade game at the convenience store. And I went to the Griffiths Observatory. And Kayla, you must be inundated with opportunities to visit movie sets. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's funny. Cause I'm like, I guess, yeah, I guess I've eaten in a plate in a restaurant that was in a movie. But I think when you, I've been in LA for eight years, uh, seeing a celebrity in a restaurant or someone saying like, Oh, this, this movie was filmed here. Or like, Oh, can we go toward the studio or whatever? You, you kind of just get over it. Cause it's mm-hmm. everywhere all of the time. Uh, so I'm sure I have, I just have I probably have no idea that I've been to places that mm-hmm. actually mean something to to movie watchers. The only one that's really meant anything to me, like, like I've been to a few too, but like the only one that was neat to me, like really cool, was Vasquez Rocks. Because it's just been in everything as well. Mm. Star Trek, Westworld. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, just about any TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, that's set outside in the desert. Yeah, and unlike Kayla, who's been there for eight years, I knew I was going to be in the LA area for only a month or two. And so that caused me to prioritize doing some things that otherwise would be low on the list. So when I went out to lunch, Sabriel, with our mutual friend, Sarah and Tatiana, I was like, oh, we're only a half a mile from Buffy's high school. Let's go visit that. (laughs) And of course, Sarah and Tatiana, who are from that area, were like, eh, we can go there anytime. And I was like, I can't. We're going today. I take it back. Griffith Observatory was one of the other places I really wanted to go because when I was little, The Rocketeer was my favorite movie and it was featured heavily in there. And so like, that was one of my perfect dates uh, always growing up uh, for someone to take me there and someone did. Uh, and at night, it was beautiful. Yay. Uh, so yes, okay. I guess I had two places that were actually interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't talked about Chris at all yet. Let's chat about that plot. Yeah, he got beamed into the middle of the air. I don't think we've seen that before. When it first happened, I thought, oh, this is clearly for comedic effect, especially with California Dream and Play in the background. But once he hit the ground and I saw blood, I was like, oh, I'm not laughing anymore. Right. I think it's really interesting that this episode chose to grab a whole bunch of issues that current day Earth is dealing with. So you had climate change in there. You had immigration issues. You had homelessness. And I will say, like, living in L.A., all of that is really accurate. Like the scene where they they show the mountain on fire is like seen that, definitely mm-hmm. seen that. Uh, the homeless encampment, yep, just yep, saw it. It's everywhere. Immigration, yep, know somebody that got pulled out of their job and was arrested by ICE. Like that is a massive. They really nailed Los Angeles, and even though it's supposed to be in. Not not you know twenty twenty two, but it's close enough. It's like yeah, this is accurate. This is incredibly accurate to what Los Angeles looks like, and I can see how Earth could choose to do one of two things. They could either choose to fix it all, or they could choose to just deal with it. And the their timeline that they're experiencing now is Earth just dealt with it in weird, wrong ways, and that's where violence came in uh, and bigotry and all of that in their in the timeline they're experiencing now. But if Earth chose to actually solve all the issues and and figure out how to fix the problems, then they have their timeline that they are used to, their normal timeline. Uh-huh. So that was I thought that was really interesting how they decided to deal with all that. The uh I'm also very curious because they've definitely set up a little bit of a romantic relationship, which reminds me a lot of Tom Paris and Sarah Silverman. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and so I'm like, "Ooh, that's you know, what I wonder what will happen there and like how that will influence the future because he's talking to her kid and talking to her and obviously they get arrested and yeah that's um, it's a very curious thing they've set up i loved the relationship between teresa and uh chris chris it was just so cute and funny uh i can't wait to see where that goes i was heavily in favor like yes these two are awesome together so at the end of star trek 4 kirk brought the doctor to the future with him because they had a thing, I guess. And I don't see the same thing happening here because are they going to bring her and her kid to the future? Is Chris going to stay in the past, which I can't imagine Picard allowing. I don't think that was even being set up at all. I didn't, I didn't think of that. But if this is a romance, the only way it can end is with them not staying together due to the temporal divide. And that's sad. If it's a romance, I I guess. It's true. And I have been 
coached recently that I should appreciate romances no matter how long they last. <laughs> but I can't help but wonder what is the end game for this series or for this season. And there were and there were other things with uh, the temporal incursion that I was curious about. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but Picard landed outside his chateau in France. So it looked like. I mean, and so is he expecting his ancestors to not come out in the morning and say, hey, that spaceship wasn't there last night. Let's go see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, his choice of lighting is going to matter in the future. Here, it's just been so quickly. But I was thinking that, too. It's going to matter. Something is going to come up. Um, yeah, we'll have pra- to, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. It, and who is he going to meet? Because we, they've also set up this thing with his mother, and obviously, his mother's not around where they in this past time right now because that would be, that's too long ago. But what I feel like there's got to be some sort of callback to his mother saying "look up" or whatever it is. There's got to be something that happens with his ancestors that just feels like the right writing <laughs> path to go. But right. like, this is yeah. so far back where no one's going to recognize him, so he can right, or he's not going to look familiar, and so he can unless you're part of. Um, the Brent Spiner bloodline, then you look like you look the same no matter what time zone you're. Oh, that's it. those are some very dominant genes. <laughs> right. But, um, so like he's going to go into that little room, uh, the observatory, not the, the conservatory. conservatory. Yeah. He's going to go in there. He's going to, at some point, I just know it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When he asked for helm control to control the landing, I thought he was going to direct them toward gravit Island, an isolated and uninhabited Island located in earth, South Pacific. Because that's where he told his Enterprise crew to stay out of time's way when he thought in first contact they were going to stay in that era. Like everybody got into their little escape pods and they all went down to Gravit Island. I was like, Picard, you've solved this problem before. <laughs> oh, well. And, and you know, uh, they don't need to land near Los Angeles. He said that. So they landed in France. Gravit Island would have been just as good. I have a question. Um because of the what is that you know the thirty percent rule where the movies can't have to be like thirty percent off canon? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have not heard that. No, I hadn't heard that. My understanding is now. Again, I'm new to the Star Trek world. I've only been watching it since October 2020, so I'm definitely not as like uh, educated on this. But my understanding is the movies ha- have to be thirty percent off canon to the TV shows. Uh, and that's why, like, you know, Klingons look weird and all this stuff. And my understanding is I, oh, there's one – I don't know about the Picard and Discovery. I don't know how – if they fall into the movie category or into the TV show category. But I think they fall into the TV show category, which means they that some of the stuff that happened in the movies, it can't happen in the TV shows because of that rule. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, they can reference it, like the fact that Data died saving Picard in Nemesis, but yes. other things they can't, maybe? Yes, and also, I think, <clears throat> did they not reference, I think they referenced the death differently in Picard, right? They, I, I don't know if they actually used the exact story. I don't think they went into a detailed explanation, but I think they just said that he died saving me, and that could describe yes. a lot of different scenarios. Right, 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 right. So, like, they can still use that reference, but they can't go. They can't like show clips from the movies, or they can't reference the exact storyline because of this this rule that exists. I was not aware of that. That's fascinating. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. Someone told me about it. Someone who is a massive Trekkie told me about it, and so uh, I'm I'm gonna find the information so that we can mm-hmm. confirm it. Okay. Also, something I didn't realize. Did you just say that you only started watching Star Trek during the pandemic? Yeah. Wow. Yep. That is correct. <laughs> I mean, given your exhaustive knowledge, I assumed that like me and Sabriel, this was something you grew up with. Nope. Uh, so I knew that if I dove into Star Trek, I was going to have a problem. It was going to be a, a deep-seated addiction. <laughs> and so I consciously chose not to do it because I knew it was going to take up all of my life. And then when we realized, oh, this pandemic thing is going to be a minute, I called up my buddy who is a massive Trekkie, has been since he, since the original series. And I said, all right, what do, where do I start? And he said, uh, start with Voyager. Uh, I think you'll really love it. And so I did. And 
here we are. And that was October 2020. And now <laughs> I'm on a podcast. So big, big time. Good things yeah. can happen. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never would have thought to tell somebody to start with Voyager. Did you also end with Voyager? Or did you go back and watch other shows as well? So uh, I started with Voyager, then went to the original series, and then I just did everything sort of in the order that they came out. So started Voyager, then went original, Next Generation. I had some difficulties with Deep Space Nine. Just it's not for me. Uh, so I didn't watch the last season of Deep Space Nine yet. I have one more season to watch. Uh, my understanding is that's the good one. So I'm really excited. And then uh, Enterprise. Uh, and I haven't quite made my way through all of the movies yet. But uh, I've seen all of the movies with the original with Kirk and Spock and such. Um, and then I saw the J.J. Abrams ones. So yeah, I'm still a little, a couple things missing from my knowledge. Um, but yeah, still... Still new. I watch Voyager or Next Generation to fall asleep every night. So <laughs> it's a problem. Well, I'm glad you're not turned off from Deep Space Nine because there is some impressive storytelling, especially in the last season. And yeah. are you also watching Discovery? I am watching Discovery. Uh, yeah, we talked about um, Prodigy and Picard. So yeah, watching all of them. And then um, uh, what's the one that's just about to come out? Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Yep. So that's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. It's all my time. I work on nothing else. <laughs> wow. I mean, I I didn't realize being a magician would afford you so much time to watch Star Trek. Oh, it doesn't. It totally doesn't. Um, you make time. <laughs> I, yes, I make I make the time. I prioritize, certainly. Good. Cool. Uh, let's see. Going back to Picard, uh, I got to say that I, there were a lot of independent moments in this episode I liked. I, as we discussed, I really liked the Jurati Queen scene. And uh, Christoph and Teresa, as we mentioned. But at the same time, I felt like setting it in close to modern age removed a lot of what makes Star Trek unique. And I felt like there were a lot of different shows this episode could have been. And I found that a little disappointing. What did you all think? I didn't at all uh, find it disappointing. Uh, Star Trek's been in this time period before. And so that wasn't anything wild or outlandish. And they can also put their own little spin on it. Uh, also, perfect sense with COVID. Like, uh, let's get outside and record some stuff instead of uh, staying indoors. Um, That's a good point. Uh, no, I didn't have any. I didn't, that didn't occur to me at all. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get that either, but I, I do understand what you're saying. It makes sense. Uh, yeah, I just didn't see that on original viewing. Yeah, like just Kristoff being in a hospital and not being able to say who he is and having to get something back. I'm like, that didn't feel original to me. I And again, mm. I, I, I like what the actors did with it, but script-wise, I was like, eh, this, isn't, this wasn't really my jam. I, it kind of reminded me of the enterprise episode carpenter street where they went back <laughs> to the year like 2004 i think it was and it was just a blah episode of enterprise and the reviews were not great and again that was mostly the script not the actors and so kayla you said this was one of your favorite episodes of this sh season so far for me it was actually one of my least favorite episodes so far hmm. huh. yeah no i i got so much out of this i enjoyed the trip so much is one of mine too. Like, uh, Rafi getting here and not putting up with anything. The guy tries to mug her and she's like, no. <laughs> yep. I love Teresa. Just like experiencing like, yep, this is our healthcare. Oh, oh, also the whole Gerardi, like, okay, no butterflies, no causing waves, don't oh, go to right. hospitals. Yep. And Chris immediately goes to the hospital, uh, with the Chekhov's hospital. Um, and then, uh, and then Kristoff yeah. sort of doubled down, too. I understood at the end that he had to get the badge back. No objection there. But he sort of went all in and said, either they're going to get me and the badge, or they're going to get neither. And I feel like that was a bad bet. Well, probably. <laughs> but it's, it's Chris. It's Chris. Yeah. It's Chris. Yeah. I think that's that's the right answer. It. Uh, I would say that the scene... Of him in the doctor's office. The the one thing that I that I really liked about it was again just a commentary on current day of Justin. Oh yeah, we treat people who 
you know, are undocumented and who can't afford healthcare. So boom. And that's great. Like that's a, that's a little nod to current day. Uh, so I was a big fan of kind of all of those references, but I'm not sure it was, I kind of even forgot that that happened. So it wasn't super memorable to me. I think the main things for me that made this episode so satisfying was Agnes and the Borg Queen, that whole scene. And then Rafi and Seven and like Seven discovering who she could have been if she was not assimilated and her personality and the fact that she is human and doesn't have that void of personality. Those are the things that made this episode super satisfying for me. I wonder what sort of consequences this experience will have on seven. Like maybe she won't want to go back because she likes being able to blend into a crowd. Yeah. And the, one thing that I keep trying to remember is there's only four seasons of this show. Three. So is there three? I thought there was four. Yeah, one more. Oh, wait, we're in season two. You are correct. Um, so there's only going to be so many episodes. So they they are going to have to wrap all of this up at some point. So yeah, it's a good question. Is like, will Seven say, will she not want to go back? Will she go, you know, what will happen with, between her and Raffi? Like there's a lot going on with that. Uh, and the fact that she is discovering, she she obviously in Voyager was like, I I want to be human, but I'm having a lot of difficulty. I want to date, and the you know holographic doctor is helping me do that, and all of that gets is leading into the fact that she now gets to do that. So what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. We're getting uh, long here, but. Few things we didn't like, we kind of brushed on or didn't talk about. Uh, Picard is going to go through some serious stuff because of the Borg stuff. He was very traumatized when Gerardi was like first bringing up the idea of assimilation, and then while she was doing it, he was not in a good place. Yeah, um, so I wonder if that's going to be the impetus for him going to go check out the chateau. Plus, also, this is a timeline where there are other Picards in his world, he's the only Picard left, they've all died. That's right. Good point. In the first episode of this season, he started by saying, I am the last of my line, but there are many firsts in the audience today. Elnor, stand up. (laughs) I kind of forgot about them specifically calling that out. Interesting. Um, Apparently, the guard that uh, Rafi and Seven talked to was in Enterprise for two different roles. Uh, just as like a, a walk-on. He was in the kitchen once when Hoshi was talking. I don't know the other one. Uh, so we got to play a, another character here. How fun. Uh, Rick and Morty is canon in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, although that brings up a tangent, which is in the Star Trek timeline, I mean, Khan is clearly canon. He showed up in Space Seed and the Wrath of Khan, and we've seen the eugenics, and one of those characters is going to show up in Strange New Worlds. The eugenics wars occurred in the 90s in the Star Trek timeline. Mm-hmm. So are, are they going back to a 2024 where the eugenics wars were now 30 years ago? Yeah, if, if they're going to stick to that, if they're going to stick to that, yeah. Because the timeline that they have arrived in in 2024 looks a lot like our timeline, which does not have a eugenics wars. And so can we believe that there could have been a war 30 years ago? And despite that, we somehow still have Rick and Morty? <laughs> apparently wow. something com- happened across the streams to make it happen that's a very resilient tv series that's impressive um oh and that also reminds me loved- that uh the board oh. queen said that going back in time to before the incursion allowed her to be more lucid which made me wonder has she not been lucid for the 400 years since i don't know i don't know but she did encourage them to find the Watcher, and they got a blip on their tricorder that there apparently is some alien tech in use. So this isn't uh, just a, a human or somebody who belongs in that time period on that planet. Do we, uh, I mean, Kayla, Sabriel and I already theorized last week about who and what that might be. Do you have any ideas? Oh, man. I, I don't. Uh, I know I was watching this episode going, man, who the hell is that? So I can't tell if they've set something, if they're going to bring back something from a previous show. I mean, in theory, it could be the um, 
I don't remember his name or or what he was called, but the guy from the episode of Voyager that tried to destroy their ship, but he ended up getting slung into the 90s uh, and is a homeless man in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that was the only theory I had, but I, I don't think that's going to be it. What were the ones that you thought of? Uh, well, even now, like, if it's someone we know, the two characters that um, come to mind are Guinan and Soji, which one doesn't make any sense. Oh, Guinan. That's right, because she's been hanging around Earth since Mark Twain. Guinan. <laughs> yeah. But Guinan, but would Guinan, oh yeah, I guess she would have alien technology because she is not human. Uh, but they didn't set up that it was futuristic technology, right? They just said it was alien technology. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that actually, that tracks, that would make a lot of sense. Oh, that'd be really nice. Yeah. The, home, the, guy, the captain you're talking about, I think his name was Captain Braxton. Yes, I think yes, I think you are correct. That, yep. that is right. Uh, wow. I think Guinan, if it's someone we know, but if not, then who knows? But Sabriel, you also just floated the idea of it being Soji. I just threw it out there because it's someone who's in the show and we haven't seen much yet since the first episode. Mm. I wonder how she would have gotten back there. That's yeah, it doesn't make much sense. Huh. Uh, but I'm throwing it out there as Q. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, that's interesting because what we theorized last week did not include Guinan or Soji. And Kayla, we had forgotten about Braxton, or at least we didn't bring him up. So that's three options in addition to the two we thought of last week. So now we have five options. <laughs> I honestly don't remember what we said last week. The ones, And I just kind of feel silly I didn't say Guinan last week. And when we were talking with our guest, Commodore Mark Thompson, he thought that it might be Gary Seven, who was a character on one oh, episode right. of the original series. He was introduced oh, wow. as sort of a backdoor pilot to get his own spinoff, and that never happened. And then the other idea is they have gone back to the year 2024, which is the same year that D Space Nine went back to in one season when they encountered the Bell Riots. And Captain Sisko had to ensure that the timeline was unaltered. So it's possible that they might bump into Captain Sisko. Oh. Oh, man, all of these are good theories. They are. They are. I mean, there are so many years that Star Trek could go back to. The fact that they would choose the same year twice doesn't seem like a coincidence. Although we don't actually know that they did arrive in 2024. Girardi just said, look for context clues. It seems like we're around the right time. And they haven't bothered to go get a newspaper since arriving. Right. (laughs) That's a good point. Mm -hmm. So we just know that oh, they are man. some time before Q made the change. I really hope it's Guinan. I'm pulling for Guinan hard. I just love her so much. And it would it would be weird that she would come back for just a single episode and then that kind of be it. Because uh, it's Whoopi Goldberg. So it would be really interesting if it was Guinan. Hmm. Because Guinan and Q are obviously enemies, so that would, oh man, that would be great. They'd have to do some de-aging effects, probably. Sure. Although, here's another idea. What if the watcher they're looking for is Stacey Abrams? (laughs) Kayla, you may not get Uh, that reference yet, but it'll make sense in time. Oh, I do. I do. (laughs) I do, I do. I do. I love it. I'm, again, all for it. I realize they're different shows. I don't care. Bring back the president of Earth. Yes. I mean, Discovery has referenced Picard, so it makes sense that it would go backwards. So why not? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (sighs) That'd be great. Anyway, Kayla, we are coming up on time. Do you have any other thoughts about this episode you want to share? I think I I think I covered most of it. I think that, you know, the two biggest things, uh, and I love Seven of Nine so much. I loved her in Voyager. I was so happy when she showed up in Picard, like, I just, I can't, I, I want to know so much more. I want her story to play out really big. And so I'm really looking mm-hmm. forward to that. And I think they've set that up really nicely. Uh, Sabriel, haven't they floated the idea of a Seven of Nine spinoff? I don't remember, to be honest, but I would love that. Mikey Hart would be in love with the idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have finished filming the third and final season of Picard. And clearly he is nearing his limit age-wise to how much performance he can do. But I can totally see the stories being continued with other characters. And who knows? Maybe Picard would be a cameo in a Seven of Nine series. Yeah. Oh, Star cool. Trek, Fenris Rangers. Ah, oh, 
<laughs> I'm all for it. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> awesome. My last thought here is actually something for Kayla. Being a, you're in LA right now. Uh, I'm in Chicago right now, but oh you, damn, that's all right. Tell me, tell me your thought. Uh, I don't know if anyone else is going to hear this because I forgot to mention it last week. Uh, in LA right now, at various restaurants, Paramount is doing Ten Forward: The Experience. <gasps> um, my friend Char got to do it uh, this weekend. It is the last weekend where they have <sighs> drinks, get-togethers, a uh, little celebration of Picard. You can have themed drinks uh, in the Ten Forward bar of the of the new show, and it's been going That's on since so the tenth. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm so I'm mad so. to have missed it, but wow, what a great idea. I hope, I hope it'll come back. Yeah, that, that, cool. that is amazing. I had no idea that was happening. It looks like it's happening March 10th through the 20th. So today, as this airs, is March 19th. So you have two more chances to get it. I would love that myself because we spoke with Bonnie on this podcast, and she was one of the cast members of Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas, which closed almost 15 years ago now. I still miss it. Like I got to experience it, not when she was there, but the fact that we don't have something like that today is a gross oversight. I agree. <laughs> so yes, bring back Star Trek, the experience. Yes. Well, Kayla, it has been such a delight to get to know you both on stage in Chicago and now on the transporter lock podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Appreciate you guys. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Remind our listeners where they can find you online. So you can see me on all the social media platforms at, at Magic in Heels. Heels like your shoes, not heels like a doctor. Uh, that's been spelled wrong before, so got to make sure you know, like your shoes. Uh, and then the website, magicinheels.com. Uh, you can... But you'll, if you're looking for shows or anything, social media is the place to be. And uh, yeah, see you all over there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Until next time. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. 